Welcome to Service Headline News. I am Marty Smith. And I'm Eric Parrott. And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and maybe have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Eric, how was uh, how was the weekend? The weekend was good, man. It was football. I was excited. Yeah, that's right. Good that's college, right. good pros. Football, Good, depending on who your team is, I suppose, right? Well, my team dominated last night. The Buccaneers killed it. Killed it. God, I root so hard against them. I can't believe it. America's team, though, the Cowboys, come on. We whooped their behinds. I don't root for Dallas unless they're playing Tom Brady, and that's why I want him to lose. <laughs> well, nice. Yeah, I was pretty excited. Good day of football, man. Well, this weekend I went to Silver Creek Sporting Club to shoot some sporting clays. And it was an event to benefit an uh, organization called the Freedom Hunters. Have you ever heard of them? I have not. Now, I've done this. I've done this for like three years. And this Freedom Hunters organization is a group that, uh, and they're you know whatever five hundred one three C whatever they it's all do- donations. But they take uh, veterans, especially disabled veterans, and they take them out on hunting and fishing trips throughout the year. Oh, that's awesome, man! Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so. I I've done this event the last couple of years because it's down in Kiowa. Okay. And you go out there and you do a little cowboy golf as they call it. You know, there's just like 14 stations and you shoot eight rounds or six rounds at the sporting clays and they're flying all over and we're not hitting anything, but uh, it was fun. It was a good time. Oh man. The next time sign me up. Okay. I'll, I'll invite you next year then. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, if anybody out there listening wants more information on this, it's uh, go to freedomhunters.org. So freedomhunters.org. Good stuff. Yeah, it was good. Okay, you ready for this day in military history? You'll like this. Brief me. September 12th, 1847, General Winfield Scott wins the last major battle of the Mexican-American War, storming the ancient Chapultepec Fortress at the edge of Mexico City. Uh, The war between the U.S. and Mexico began the year before when President James Polk ordered General Zachary Taylor to advance to the disputed Rio Grande border between the newly minted American state of Texas and Mexico. The Mexican government had once controlled Texas, obviously, and refused to recognize the American claim on the state or the validity of the Rio Grande as an international border. Viewing President Taylor's advance as an invasion of Mexican soil the Mexican army crossed the Rio Grande and attacked the U.S. forces in Texas in April 1846. By mid-May, the two nations were formally at war. The Mexican army was larger than the American army, but its leadership, training, and supplies were all inferior to those of the U.S. forces. This is fascinating. Mexican gunpowder was notoriously weak, and cannonballs from their guns often just bounced slowly across battlefields where the American soldiers simply stepped out of the way. <laughs> wow. <They're> nuts. <laughs> it's like a bowling ball coming at you. Just yeah, right. Just right. Uh, as a result. That's my kind of war. <laughs> just <laughs> ah, step to the left. You're good. Yeah. As a result, by January 1847, General Taylor had conquered California and the northern Mexican territories that would later make up much of the American Southwest. But Taylor was reluctant to take the war into the heart of Mexico, and Polk instead turned to General 
Winfield Scott to finish the job. Scott, hmm. le- Scott leads his troops against the Mexican dictator, General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Obsessed with glory and his place in history, Santa Ana arrogantly underestimates the will and the heart of Scott and his army. In March of 1847, Scott landed nearly 12,000 men on the beaches near Veracruz, Mexico, captured the town, and began to march inland to Mexico City. When a final attempt at peace negotiations failed in August, Scott advanced north on the Mexican capital. After Scott's forces stormed the fortress at Chapultepec, the last significant Mexican resistance was eliminated. The next day, uh, September 14th, Scott marched his army into Mexico City and raised the American flag over the Mexican National Palace. The, quote, Halls of Montezuma, end quote, later celebrated in the famous Marines hymn. And for the first time in U.S. history, the Stars and Stripes flew over a foreign capital. I like and then it. we capitulated. We gave it all back. Ah, good word. Good word. Capitulate. <laughs> you like it? There's a great book. I read it a long time ago uh, about the Mexican-American War called Gone for Soldiers by uh, Michael Shara. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. That's the guy. That's the same guy who wrote Killer Angels. Okay. Yeah, he wrote that Mexican-American War book. And it's fascinating because he talks about uh, Captain Lee knowing uh, Cap- or Lieutenant uh, Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, and how they fought it. You know, they fought side by side next to Major Grant. You know, those guys. And they were all, they were all buds back then. Yeah. Right? They all came out of the academies together. All, basically, yeah. They all came out of the academy and served the same thing. So they all knew each other. They all worked together. I thought I found that fascinating. And then, you know, um, about 10 years later, 15 years later, they're all fighting each other. So what's funny is, in this particular instance, it would have been nice had we gotten to Santa Ana prior to, you know, the Alamo. Uh, well, yeah, sure. If, they, if we could have done that first, yeah, that yeah. would have been great. Because, I mean, he really, really did not give us much credit at the Alamo. And he should have understood, uh-oh, like in World War II, we've awakened a sleeping giant. Here, They're coming. <laughs> well, sure. And it took him. It took them an inordinate amount of time when there was only what less than a hundred defenders in there. I think. Yeah, it was. It was like I thought the number was like one hundred sixteen or something. Yeah, it was a tiny number, and it still took them forever to take that force. Right, we caused some serious damage. He probably should have known better. Anyway, well, at least understood our resolve, right? I yeah, mean, but you know, when you're arrogant and you're a dictator, yeah. You don't get those lessons, right? You end up in the end of a noose or dead, some other way. <laughs> so that's your day in history. All right, you ready for the first story? Yes, sir. This is a quick story written by uh, Lance Corporal Jonathan Bochamp from Okinawa, Japan. He's talking about the Marines' special reaction team and how they conduct multiple weapons sustainment training. So what is a special reaction team? I'll tell you about it. Uh, High-risk emergencies can happen anytime and require the attention of a specific group known as a special reaction team or commonly referred to as SRT. The members of SRT are attached to the provost marshal's office and are always on standby to respond to situations such as an active shooter, hostage situations, and barricaded subjects. Two remain proficient 
SRT practices marksmanship weekly. Weekly. I mean, imagine having the ammo to practice it weekly. Let's say they're burning some ammo, man. <laughs> By conducting range firing and team tactics. SRT works on an emergency basis. When a threat is deemed too high risk for a patrolman, SRT receives a call to neutralize the subject. The, their main goal is to contain, control, and dominate a threat psychologically or physically. Now, here's the cool thing. This gunnery sergeant, Russell Harned, team commander with SRT, headquarters in Sport Battalion, Marine Corps Installation Pacific. They interviewed him about the training. This is what he said. Today, we shot from a tower structure to simulate engaging a hostile target from a sniper position. Afterward, we moved to a short range to practice status fi static fire, multiple hostile engagements, and team movement drills. We conducted a fam familiarization course of fire with an M40A6 rifle, a Colt M45A1 close quarter battle pistol, I don't know if that's a real name or if they made that up, but it sounds pretty badass. Hey, man, I got quiet because I think I'm copying wood. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's badass, man. A P320 M18 pistol and M4A1 carbines. That is so, cool. I mean, if that's how they train. I mean, you were talking about your special unit and how you were similar to kind of a SWAT on the airfield. Correct. Correct. These guys, service team, EST. Yeah, these guys are really SWAT because I saw some pictures where they engage a target and they're walking by the target. So, you know, they're doing the walking range. I was like, wow, that's awesome. That would be fun. We were never allowed to have that much live fire. That's a lot. Yeah, and, and more realistic than standing on a range and engaging targets at right. 50 or 100 meters, you know. Yeah, right. And these guys are attacked to the attached or not attached, but they're or yeah, they're attached to the provost marshal. So uh, this is this base defense right there. You know, that's I mean that's a, that's a headquarters guys going. We need to deploy these guys over here. I wonder how how frequently the civilian populace could call. I mean, I know the Posse Comitatus Act is in in place and jurisdiction on and off the installation and militarization of law enforcement, but, but man, what, what a resource for the yeah. civilian world to come out if there's an issue. I bet they, I, I wonder if they are able to fire more rounds in training than actual special weapons and tactics guys. Man. That would be interesting to know. Yeah, it sounds like it. We're going to have to do some research on these special guys. Yeah, it's entertaining, especially what they, uh, what they do. Maybe they'll invite us out. That'd be awesome. Hey, we're hey, you, we're with this podcast. You heard of us? And they're like, no. They're like, oh, come on, invite us out. And they're like, get out of here. <laughs> we'll do you right, man. We'll we'll talk good stuff. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so there, there's a marine story for you. We haven't done a marine story in a while, so that's good stuff. So what I have is is pretty interesting too. Um, we in the past have talked number of times on recruitment and retention. We have. Almost every podcast we've done, we've talked about it. Right. And, and the problems that they continuously have. Um, I found an article today by a Karen Jowers, and it's from the Military uh, Family Support Programming Office. It's actually a military family adversary network. And apparently okay. they do 
a survey every year on the um, military's ability to retain, keep an all-volunteer force, and if there are any type of threats coming to it. So this, the, the title is, it's just a survey that raises serious questions about the future of the all-volunteer force. Huh. The results of a new survey of military and veterans and spouses, including details on financial difficulties, raise concerns about the future of the military, said the executive director of the organization that conducted the survey. Her name was Shannon Arazadine, and she is part of this Military Family Advisory Network. Fewer military veterans and active duty and spouses are likely to recommend military service, according to the findings. And the reasons are related to their own well-being, oh. said the president and executive director of the Military Family Advisory Network. That's a lot of words. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, families are having a hard time making ends meet, and that's affecting their overall well-being, she said. We see the connection between well-being and loneliness, well-being and housing, well-being and food security. Now, can you talk? Can, can you believe we're talking about food security? to the military services, people that are struggling to find food. Crazy. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. Difficult to kind of wrap my head around. Well, let me give you a little more. When you layer that on top of the fact that fewer people are likely to recommend military service, it paints a very clear picture of concern related to the future of the all-volunteer force. This is the fourth survey fielded by the organization. It's generally every two years. This time, the biggest surprise, said Razadine, was the drop in the percentage of survey respondents who said they would recommend military life from 74% in 2019 to 62% in 2021. Oh. Man, right? That's a drop. So we're talking about parents that have been in the service who now are saying, hmm. And, and I've heard you even say it. I'm not sure I'd recommend yeah. to our young ones going to the service. The online military family support programming survey was fielded October 4th through December 15th of 2021. 9,000 people participated. The largest group of respondents was spouses of active duty members at 44%, followed by active duty members at 14, and nearly 60% of the respondents overall were between the ages of 25 and 39. Razadine says this was very troubling for us. It was really the fact that families do not feel like military life lines up with family life. Now, there's something that I could have told you. Well, yeah, it never really has, to be honest with you. Exactly. But I think it's becoming more and more hard to accept. Uh, based on people's answers, the reasons were related to frequent separations. Now there's a surprise. Yeah. And the fact that military life is not conducive to family life. Noting that the fact that the survey was conducted on the heels of the U.S. military's exit from Afghanistan in 2021 didn't show up in the findings, however. That's uh, too, right? Yeah, right. In general, over the years, the number of military children have followed in their parents' footsteps. But there are indications those trends were waning, with other surveys find with other surveys finding that um, military parents are increasingly unlikely to recommend service to their children. 
Ah, there you go. Yep. A recent survey of military teens found that 65%. Now, this is kind of one way or the other. Uh, but a recent survey of military teens found that 65% still want to serve in the military in some form. Okay. That's kind of interesting. It yeah. goes against what was just put out there. So the MF, the MFAN, which is that military network, reported also pointed to a root cause of many problems that military families have understood for years. The military moved. In 2021, those who had recently experienced a permanent change of station reported negative or very negative experiences with the reimbursement <laughs> of moving costs at 40%, right? You, you, your stuff's broken or they lose it. Um, if Effects on spouse employment, 38%, and change in cost of living at 56%. In the future, the organization will further look at these negative experiences to enhance the survey. So they're going to start looking at some more of that. Apparently, there's more to it than just deployments. It's how they take care of their people as well. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, in Monterey, some families who arrived in June were still living in hotels by mid-July waiting for housing. Non-availability. Non-availability. That's right. The survey found that the situation of the local housing market ranked among the top five reasons living on base in 2021. Oh, where is this at? Where did you just say this was at? That was in Monterey, California. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hey, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're never going to find a place. Not there. Nope. Now, that's within the, uh, what do they call that? That's within the housing allowance? No way. It doesn't cover. Not no way. way. Yeah. So in 2021 and continuing into 2022, military families have been affected by skyrocketing housing prices. Yeah. For those who lived off base, the poor condition of military housing has been the top reason in the survey since 2019. Yeah. But the lack of available military housing has also consistently been among the top reasons for not wanting to join the military. You know, anybody who's been in is like, yeah, we knew all this stuff. We've been saying this stuff for the last 50s, 60s, however many years. It's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing up because it goes into a lot more numbers, but in 2021, one in six or 16.6% of military and veteran families, this one goes back to the food, uh, were experiencing food insecurity or hunger compared to about 15% in 2017. How many? What was that first percentage? One in six or 16.6%. The highest frequency of those experiencing food insecurity was among currently serving, including Guard and Reserve families, at 18%. In addition, 9.6% of the population were experiencing very low food security or hunger. One of those who had problems with food insecurity, 96% used federal assistance programs, such as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. Snap, yeah. yeah. And the special supplemental nutritional program for women, infants, and children. Yeah. 70% of those said they found those programs helpful. I guess I have a, it's a such a, a discouraging moment when you're talking about people who have joined the military to serve their country who are making just enough. Oh, I need assistance. I need help just to buy food. Yeah, that sucks. 
Yeah. I, that would be my story, sir. Yeah. I don't you know. Want if to walk a bridge now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I don't know if that's good or bad news. It's certainly uh no surprise to those who have served. Correct. Yeah, you know, they've always they've always struggled. And you know that, but it's superseded by your service to your country and the opportunities you get to do everything else. Well, you start taking some of that stuff away, and you're like, okay, what am I getting paid here to do? Yeah, there is absolutely no incentive anymore, man. Nah, not really. Let's see. Uh, maybe this will change the mood. Maybe this is a little sorbet for you. <laughs> it's not really a news story, but I did get suckered. Uh, but I was I was on some website, and they're like, try this new app. And so I clicked on it. I was like, it's a brand new app? Really? No, it's not a brand new app, but is it? But it is the first time I've heard about it. It's a website called Together We Served. Uh, so the little pitch goes like this. Tracking down old friends, particularly if you've been out of the service many years, is not always easy, but there is one company that can help. Together We Served is a veteran-only website launched in 2003. It provides veterans a highly effective means to reconnect with old service friends. One simply enters their service history into the Together We Served military service page. And I did it. I, it's actually really easy. Um, huh. So I am a member of it. All right. Uh, Together We Served built an individual website for each branch of service. And with over 1.9 million veteran members, the chances of finding people you served with is pretty high. The secret behind Together We Served ability to connect more veterans is the depth of its databases. Over the past 16 years, Together We Served has built one of the most comprehensive databases of U.S. military training and operating units in existence. Its databases span from World War II to present day, or basically whoever the oldest person is who put their information in. <laughs> they create. They allow you to create a military service page. Uh, you can not only find veterans who went to the same basic training as you or served in the same units or duty stations, but also those who participated in the same combat or non-combat operations. Together, we served search engine automatically matches the service information you enter on your military service page with the service information on the military service pages of all other TWS members. So it's essentially, it's a ancestry.com. So if it sees, you know, it, it takes key phrases, your bases, your, your time of service, and it matches them with the, whatever their database is. And it's like, Hey, here's three people who uh, are registered that served with you. Very cool. So, those members whose entries could match yours get listed on your service page. That is what enables you to make contact with those you may know. This powerful feature helps veterans remember forgotten names. This is interesting that they put this phrase in here. Finding key people on Together We Serve can be very helpful, especially if you need or can provide witness account to support a potential VA claim. I never even thought about that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, they always want a letter of a witness or something. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Very it's like, Hey, we were there. Oh shit. Here's this guy, you know, maybe you can contact him. So you have the option to join it for free, which is what I do. Cause I'm a cheap ass. Uh, or you can pay for a premium membership for one year for 1995. And part of that premium membership is they, they make you a little plaque. They uh, allow you to search some articles and some other stuff. Uh, I don't know whether or not 
if you get a match or something like that, if somebody knows you and you see them, I don't know if they let you message them without paying for a premium membership. My suspicion is they probably won't. Yeah. They're probably like, oh, you want to send an email to this guy? Because I, I like once I've been on LinkedIn forever, right? Because that's what they preached. Get on LinkedIn. That'll help you get a job. LinkedIn didn't help me get a job. However, <laughs> uh, an old buddy of mine found me and sent me a message and I went to reply to him. And it's like, oh, you need LinkedIn premium. Of course. And I was like, what? And like, yeah, you can't. We, you, if you want to reply to him, basically they're saying we're not going to let you reply unless you pay us a little bit. The big dollar speaks. So I would imagine this is it. This is the same way, but it's twenty bucks a year. Yeah, that's not. It's a great tool. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a couple of the people that I've interviewed. It's like, hey, put your information in. You never know. You might you might run into one of your buddies in service. You know. Sure. That would be kind of neat to see. So. Uh, it is together we served all one word together we serve.com if you're interested. Okay, I will look it up. I wrote it down. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's all pretty right. Neat. Well, transitioning to further feel good stuff, um, I was yeah. really looking um, at all the articles today, and we talked about in the past. It's all negative. We always publish negative stuff. I know. <laughs> crazy. Um, like we never do anything good. Well, anyway, I found one that was really good. It was, um, um, so it's a Navy rescue. It's a very good rescue. It's by a guy who was trained to do just that. And the story starts even before the migrant smuggling boat crashed, capsized and splintered off the rocky shores of Point Loma, California, even before he sprang into action to save lives, Naval Air Crewman Helicopter First Class Kale Foy suspected something wasn't right with the vessel. It was May 2nd, 2021, and Foy was hiking near Cabarillo National Monument with his wife and kids, an idyllic Sunday tradition for the family. But in the day's low tide, Foy recalled seeing the boat going through a seaweed patch. The 36-year-old and his family started hiking north along the beach line and down near the water when Foy's wife noted that the boat appeared to be approaching the craggy windswept coast. Huh. The boat looked empty, the Tative, Tampa native recalled, but soon the boat hit the rocks and the people inside, along with their meager belongings, were thrown overboard. Oh. The vessel, vessel cracked up. So then Damn. the question is, what do you do? So Foy's wife asked if there was anything he could do. The rescue swimmer assigned to a helicopter sea combat squadron. Foy was forged for such a scenario. Navy rescue swimmers live by the credo so that others may live. With that in mind, and without his trademark mask, snorkel, and fins or helmet, Foy leapt into action. He came across another service member viewing the grim situation, and they began, began assessing how best to enter the water amidst a rocky coastline, churning oh, yeah. a washing machine effect with five to eight foot waves crashing onto the coral. Dangerous. Yeah, damn. Soon, Foy began seeing scores of people swimming in from the wreckage. He jumped in, huh, and now, lo and behold, he jumps into the 60-degree water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He started battling the waves to save as many lives as he could. As he assisted the first wave of people in getting to the shore, he scanned beyond the surf and saw many more of the 32 had been a, who had been on board, all in need of help. 32? 32. 
shot. Foy round Foy found a rip current that pulled him and the other service member out in a way that avoided the big crashing waves. Once Foy arrived at the scene, there was nothing left of the boat except the top portion of the cabin. The water was thick with fuel, fiberglass, and luggage. The other unidentified service member got hit by debris, oh. lost his bearings for a second. Foy said white sea foam limited any sort of visibility in the water as well. So they were both sort of limited and stuck where they were for a moment. Yeah. They assembled near the top cabin portion and tried to count all the heads that kept bobbing out of the water, he said. The cabin wreckage became a mass casualty point, a spot of salvation for the immigrants tossed into the unforgiving Pacific because there was no way to bring them back through the surf, Foy said. One couple was relatively calm as Foy pulled them to the cabin top, but another guy was kind of hectic and speaking Spanish, Foy said. I didn't know any Spanish beyond what my kids taught me through, through Dora the Explorer. <laughs> Still, they gestured through the language barrier. Foy grabbed the man by the back of his collar and swam him to safety. All told, in those frenzied moments, Foy said that he collected about five people and got them to the floating wreckage from which they were later rescued. There were other bodies out there, too, but they were face down in the water. Foy had the other service members stay with the survivors and ventured out to start collecting other victims. As his tank ran empty, exhausted after constant zigzag swimming to avoid debris, while still wearing his hiking boots, a boat showed up out of nowhere. Wow. He says, I didn't feel how cold I was until I got back to the dock, and they said to stop working, Foy said. It was nothing but shivers at that point. He saved 18 people. Damn. Pulled them all out. Only had to do CPR on one person. Amazing. That is pretty badass. This guy, again, swimming in 60 degree weather with jeans and hiking boots. How yeah, does, you, you would think you'd have kicked those off, but you know, at least he went in. How does right? he not become a victim, man? That's yeah, no especially with all the rip currents and the rocks right there. Perfect example of Military training, assisting, and real-world situations. Yeah, you do what you need. What needs to be done? Don't think, just do. That's what Mavericks did in Top Gun. So, good job, Seaman Foy. What's his rank? Air. Let's see, naval air crewman, helicopter, first class, Kale Foy. That's good to hear. And we need to do. We need to finish on more of those kind of stories. So, yeah, feel good stuff, man. Give those guys credit. Well done, Eric. I like covering the news this week. I think that's good. On behalf of Mass Arm Parat, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please leave a like and share the podcast with someone else. Let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Eric, we'll see you next week. Marty, have a good day, sir. We will see you next week.